The February WASDE makes minimal changes to historically tight supplies across the major grains while confirming exceptionally strong demand. How might this data and shifting market conditions affect upcoming planting decisions? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The February WASD dropped Wednesday, February 8th, offering relatively few significant updates to the January figures. In the notoriously quiet northern winter months, attention was trained on updates in Latin America, especially in drought-affected Argentina, where the corn crop in particular is suffering due to ongoing La Nina conditions. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us to dig into the tweaks that USDA is and isn't making to key figures around global supplies and demand, to add some context around historically high basis numbers for major grains, and to give us some insight around recent livestock industry data that's likely to continue affecting cattle and pork markets into the months ahead. We'll dive into what's moving markets today, how to think about updates to inflation and a historically strong jobs report, and how growing U.S.-China tensions might impact trade in the future. Then stick around for a preview of what Todd is expecting to highlight at the DTN Get Set for Spring Ag Summit series event on planting, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by DTN's all-new Ag Summit series. The annual Ag Summit is a mainstay for progressive farmers who are looking to build knowledge and refine their decision-making skills during the winter months. But now, the team at DTN is bringing all the news, insights, and learnings to you throughout the year. Here's DTN business editor Katie Dellinger for more on the first Ag Summit series event coming soon. What we've decided to do for 2023 is to do more frequent updates in a similar format and style as Ag Summit. So we're going to be doing the Ag Summit series. The first event starts February 28th. We are going to be weighing in on this pre-planting situation. You know that it's going to be a tight race for acres this year. It's going to be an interesting one. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bring together DTN analyst Todd Holtman to really talk and lead the discussion on that. We're also going to have DTN ag meteorologist John Baranek give an updated and detailed look at the spring planting forecast so that farmers can really get an idea of what's going to be going on as they hit the ground in March when that discussion around acreage is really heating up and then in late March and early April when people are out there putting that seed in the ground, we're really looking to try and give some insight and some opportunities for discussion ahead of that at the DTN Ag Summit Series. These DTN Ag Summit Series events will be half days, so it'll be mornings, probably about 8.30 to 11 or noon. So it's not as much of a commitment as the DTN Ag Summit, but it'll be definitely worth your while to get up on the news and issues of the day with the people who are influencing it most. To learn more, visit spotlights.dtnpf.com backslash ag summit. Now back to the show. DTN's lead analyst, Todd Holtman, joins us today to discuss the February world supply and demand estimates. Todd, talking a little bit about expectations going into this report, where did people think USDA was going to make moves? 
As far as the U.S. estimates, Sarah, I don't think there was much expectation for movement on any of the ending stocks estimates for corn, soybeans, or wheat. I think a lot of the anticipation was in Argentina, quite frankly, because of the ongoing drought situation there. And of course, we're also interested in Brazil, but I don't think there's been any real challenge to the notion that we're going to get a record soybean harvest out of Brazil this time around. We'll dig into Argentina and Brazil in a little bit, but let's start with some top line readouts. Talk a little bit about corn ending stocks and production as we move into this new year. Yeah, sure. So the new ending stocks estimate for corn is just a little bit, 25 million bushels higher. It's now 1.267 million bushels. And that was a result of a reduction in the demand estimate for ethanol, which came down by the same amount. In ethanol, the concern is that the gasoline demand since September has dropped about 6%. So if gasoline demand is not being used as much, we have to wonder if that's going to hold true for ethanol. As far as ethanol production, we're basically on the same pace as a year ago. So we haven't seen any real drop off, but that is the concern. And looking at the margins, the plant margins that the ethanol plants are facing, we are seeing narrowing down maybe 50 cents or so from last fall, 50 cents a bushel. So it does seem that I think especially there are plants in the Western Corn Belt where corn's more expensive and in short supply that it's going to be more of a discouraging event for ethanol production in the West this year. Maybe just a sidebar here. I'm curious about that declined gasoline usage figure. Thoughts around that? Is this just inflation, economic kind of lack of excitement, or is winter driving is just down, or other thoughts about what might be happening there? Yeah, it actually started in the fall. I think there's a few things going on is the short answer. And one is it could be some slower economic activity is a possibility. Our energy analyst, Brian Milne, also reminds us that mileage standards get a little better every year. I think that's part of the mix. And then I think it's also fair to say that electric vehicles are having a bit of an inroad into that gasoline demand figure. Between the three of those things, I think that probably explains the bulk of it. We've covered a lot of what is happening on corn. Maybe update us on basis. What are things looking like this time of year? The basis still remains just off the charts. This is by far the best basis, nationally speaking, for corn that we've seen in over 20 years. Our DTN National Corn Index is priced 10 cents above the March contract at this time. Typically, at this time of year, if we had a basis that was 10 cents below the March contract, That would still be very historically strong, but uh, we're 10 cents over and above the March contract, which you just don't normally see this time of year. So it continues to be a very strong sign of demand, which may be a little bit puzzling for the folks that have been watching that we have very poor export sale pace going on this year. And then the ethanol demand concerns that we just talked about. Bringing back that kind of global picture into the spotlight, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about Argentina and Brazil, the updates there, and how you are going to continue watching that situation going forward. Sure. Brazil seems easy to talk about. Everybody's expected a record harvest almost all season long, and there's really been no challenge even from planting time. Central and northern Brazil have gotten consistent rains throughout their raining season as they normally do this time of year, they seem to be on track for their 5.62 billion bushel crop. 
or that's 153 million metric tons if people are scoring that way. Even Conab, Brazil's crop agency, notched up their crop estimate just here on Wednesday morning, and they're now at 152.9 million metric tons. So both Conab and USDA are in agreement that uh, we have a big crop on the way. And by the way, that crop is roughly 9% harvested at this time. So it's starting to come in. In Argentina, that's where all the drought concern has been. There have been some helpful rains, but for the most part, the precipitation has just been insufficient for that. And they continue to have very low crop ratings coming from Argentina. That crop estimate today from USDA was reduced from 45.5 million metric tons down to 41 million metric tons. That works out to just a little more than one and a half billion bushels. If that turns out to be the case for Argentina this year, it'll be the lowest crop in five years. But I would suggest there's even more risk for that crop to go lower as we do see hit and miss rains for Argentina from time to time. But the overall pattern just still remains largely dry. That La Nina influence has really hurt Argentina's crops again this year. And although the La Nina influence is going to be slowly turning to neutral, it's probably not going to be in time to help their crops. Yeah, I'm excited to come back maybe a little bit at the end of today's conversation and talk about what that could mean as planting comes into view here in the U.S. and the race for acres gets underway. But let's check in on soybeans, soybean ending stocks and production figures updated in the February WASDE. Yes, the new ending soybean stocks estimate for the U.S. is 225 million bushels. That's 15 million bushels higher than what we saw last month. And it comes from a slight reduction in the crush estimate. Now, if anyone's been reading my comments about soybean crush over the past year, they've been nothing but bullish. And so it's fair to ask, why would USDA reduce the crush estimate? First of all, it's just a small amount, so we don't need to overreact to it. But secondly, I think there's a possibility here that the lack of soybean supplies around the U.S. has possibly restrained our crush activity so far since September, the the crush activity has been slightly less than a year ago, and that's in the face of having just phenomenally profitable incentives for soybean processors. The demand for meal and bean oil continues to stay very strong, and we continue to see very high meal and oil prices in relation to the cost of the soybean. So there's, I think there's no lack of want to as far as soybean processors go. But there could be a very tough possibility of getting as many beans as they'd like to process this year. I think that may become a factor even more this summer. I'm curious, what does that look like on the export side and expectations going into 2023? How might that continue to affect exports going forward? Yeah, I think one of the bullish surprises this fall and winter has been that U.S. soybean exports have really kicked butt, Sarah. Uh, Right now, even though USDA has an estimate of 1.99 billion bushels, it may be hard to hold the export estimate down that far. We just got Census Bureau data from Tuesday, which showed an update of export activity through December. And factoring in that Census Bureau data, we only need about 190 million bushels of more exports to meet the export estimate for the entire season. And here we have almost seven months yet remaining in the season. So even with Brazil's big record soybean harvest on the way, I don't think we're going to have any problem on the old crop side 
achieving that export estimate, and we may even actually end up a little higher. So nothing, despite this Brazil crop that is out there, potentially even with some upside from where expectations are now, not enough to loosen the tight supply situation that you're that we are still seeing after all this time. Boy, if there is, I just don't see it. I just don't see where that's coming from because I, honestly, I've never seen demand looking so good on all cylinders for soybeans as it is this winter. And that just continues to be true. Yeah. Speaking of that exact thing, talk a little bit about soybean basis, if you can, and what people are seeing at the farm gate right now. Yeah, sure. Well, we have had a very attractive soybean basis for the most part early in 2023. I would say in the last month, we have seen that basis lower a little bit, but even the current basis based on our DTN national soybean index is 35 cents below the March contract. For this time of year, that's still the strongest we've seen since 2013. So it's still a very strong sign of demand from the commercials who are making those bids, not because they're super great, generous guys and love handing out money, but because there's very strong, profitable demand for those soybeans. And that's the good news, I think, for old crop prices moving ahead. Switching gears a little bit to talk about wheat, some minor updates maybe in this report on wheat ending stocks and demand. What is the update? Yeah. So for the U.S. estimate, there really was no change to spend much time speaking about. Our new ending stocks estimate is 568 million bushels. That's 1 million bushels higher than last month. There were some tweaks to food demand and seed demand, but as I say, they were very small. So we basically have the same picture for U.S. wheat supplies, which by the way, are the lowest in 15 years. I like to remind folks as we move forward the next few months up until harvest time, we could see that U.S. supply situation is just going to get tighter and tighter. And that'll be interesting to watch, especially with a lot of specs heavily short in the market. Most of today's attention was in the world numbers. And in those world numbers, we saw a small crop increase estimate for Australia from 36.6, now up to 38 million metric tons. We also saw USDA increase Russia's crop estimate by 1 million metric tons, now up to 92. It's continues to be an interesting game here that USDA is staying at 92 for Russia while it seems like everybody else is at 100 million metric tons or higher. But it's interesting USDA is sticking to their guns for the large part thus far. We've talked a little bit in the past about what might be at the heart of that choice for USDA. Maybe question about the territory that's being counted as part of Ukraine versus part of Russia or transport, yeah. ownership, a- any other updates there about what why USDA might be holding down that lower figure? Yeah, I think definitely boundary confusion and ownership confusion is part of the conversation there. But USDA also explained that they've looked over and over their weather data and they just don't see the likelihood of a 100 million metric ton crop in Russia. I, I applaud them for sticking to their guns a bit on this. And we'll see if it turns out to be right or not. I think in the end, how will we ever know other than prices and supplies when we get to the final ending stocks report of the season, we'll have really the final say. It's interesting to me right now that they're basically calling Russia's bluff and saying, we don't think you really produce that much. Speaking of 15-year tight stocks, talk a little bit about the wheat basis and what folks are seeing at the farm gate right now. 
Yeah, it's a, a bit surprising to me that the basis is not really showing anything unusual. And I'm looking at the hard red winter wheat. But, so I picked that out because it's the biggest crop in the U.S., of course, and has the most effect on our supplies in general. As we look at that today, the HRW wheat index at DTN is trading roughly 28 cents below the March contract. That's just a few cents below the five-year average. So it's pretty unremarkable at this point. It doesn't have the same or urgency of demand that we're seeing in the corn and soybean cash figures yet. But I think it will be interesting if we truly do have the lowest ending supplies in 15 years. And I think the December 1 grain stocks report bore that out pretty well. Then as we progress these next few months and those U.S. wheat supplies get tighter and tighter, I think it'll be interesting to see if this basis doesn't improve. Just in the past few weeks, we've seen a very significant amount of commercial buying activity getting long in wheat contracts in general. And we've also seen the March to May spreads in Kansas City wheat widen pretty successfully just this week. And even today, even Wednesday, I should say, as we're looking at a fairly neutral report that really didn't have any bullish news in it. We're still seeing that strong commercial interest buying, Kansas, buying the March contract of Kansas City wheat with delivery just a few weeks away. So I'm be very interested to watch how this market in the next few months ahead. I think these supplies are going to get tight and that's going to be reflected more and more in the price. Absolutely. Before we jump over to livestock, I'm curious. Occasionally, we do have quiet reports here. We haven't had one in a long time, it feels like, but February report seems a bit quiet. I'm curious, as you look at the market over the last 24 hours and in the last week or so, what is moving the market right now, if not kind of new information coming out of the USDA? Good question. Well, of course, there has been a lot of sensitivity to South American weather. Even that's dying down a little bit now. We've heard the same story over and over for several weeks now. And everybody knows by now that Argentina has dry condition. And if there is a new concern in South America, it's that the soybean harvest in Brazil is taking a little longer than normal. And the conditions are still wet at harvest time in central and northern Brazil. And the reason that's important is not so much for the soybeans. They will get harvested and moved to port. But the longer that takes, then the longer they have to wait to plant that larger safrina corn crop. And the longer they wait on that, the more of that corn crop gets exposed to the dry season in Brazil. So that becomes potentially problematic. And our meteorologist, John Brannick, says that as far as he can tell, it looks like a very wet forecast for the next week and a half ahead in, in Brazil. He's a little concerned that the, that corn crop may become a little more vulnerable this year to the dry season. Turning our attention briefly to the livestock sector, I wonder if you could update it. so many pressures bearing down on the cattle market in particular at the moment. What did USDA have to say in their update on that sector? Yeah, first of all, let me say the WASDE report was nothing compared to the cattle inventory report on January 31, Sarah. And that bears repeating 89.3 million head of U.S. cattle on inventory, the lowest since 2015, 28.9 million beef cows in the herd. That's the lowest on records going back over 50 years. There's just no question that the herd liquidation has been very dramatic, especially this past year. The drought in the southwestern plains and the western plains in general has been very tough on holding herds together. And so the supplies moving forward 
are going to be rather tight for at least two, maybe three years ahead. So with that perspective in mind, I'll say that in the WASD report here on Wednesday, USDA slightly raised its production, its beef production estimate by 190 million pounds in the first quarter of 2023. But keep in mind, that's still down 3% from the fourth quarter production, and it's still down 3% from the first quarter a year ago. So we're looking for less beef production in the first quarter. So far, I would say the slaughter has actually held up fairly well, but we do notice it seems like week by week, just a little bit less slaughter going on. And of course, those available cattle supplies being very tight. On the pork side of things, we saw an estimate from the USDA that showed pork production in the first quarter should be slightly higher, about 1% higher than it was in the fourth quarter. USDA is estimating a live hog price of $58, which translates to about $78 lean. It's that, That's quite a drop for the first quarter. And uh, we have seen hog prices really take a tough hit. Cash hog prices, I'm saying, just in the first part of January, but it looks like maybe they're starting to heal up a little bit now. And then lastly, for poultry production, we're looking at a production estimate in the first quarter that's down 4% from what the production was in the fourth quarter of 2020. So there continues to be some problems from the bird flu. If there was one piece of good news, I thought I saw in the report, it was that the price of eggs, Sarah, is expected to come down about a third by the second quarter. So a lot of people will be glad to hear that. Speaking of the consumer, the great prompt to switch into just a couple of kind of big picture questions to keep in mind as folks look ahead to the next month. Unexpectedly, I feel like for everyone, and maybe the world. I Obviously, for agriculture, the U.S.-China relationship is very important. We did not foresee any kind of disruption. And then there was a balloon. And <laughs> I'm curious whether you... Obviously, there was also a very serious kind of diplomatic aspect to that whole situation. And I'm curious whether you are have any concerns about strain t- tensions in the U.S.-China relationship or that might play into agricultural markets at some point. Yeah, just from a, a common Joe standpoint, it almost seems laughable that we're making this such an event and that China is acting just indignantly offended by the thought that we might shoot down a balloon of theirs that's going over our U.S. territory. So other than that, I think it, it does highlight that relations between the U.S.-China remain very contentious. It doesn't take a lot to stir things up. I think as far as the markets were concerned, the balloon gate, if you will, lasted about a day, and then this balloon passed. All things shall pass, and that, that includes this balloon as well. In the bigger picture, you know, the way I look at it is China, they only buy from us what they need. We're always at the bottom of the totem pole if they can get it somewhere else. And of course, if they can get it cheaper somewhere else, they're going to do that first. And in the case of soybeans, very soon Brazil is going to have that big harvest ready for them. And they're going to transition from buying from us to buying from Brazil. So that was going to happen anyway, balloon or no balloon. Uh, And frankly, though, China continues to be a country that is extremely dependent on outside countries, including the U.S., for its food supply. And for that reason, I think they'll always maybe carry their indignation to a point, but I, uh, I don't foresee them losing sight 
of the importance of keeping their people and keeping those food supplies moving. It's going to be a contentious relationship, I think, for decades. And we're just going to have to get used to, to trying to work with them in some way. Yeah. On other, maybe more less seemingly silly news, we did get an update from Jerome Powell recently about his thoughts on inflation. I'm curious how you are watching the inflation story. We got a jobs report that was expectedly or unexpectedly strong, depending on who you are getting your information from. But yeah, where is the inflation picture and how might ag and ag markets be impacted in the next couple months? Yeah, first, the good news I can't overlook 160 million people employed in the US, the most people at work ever in this country. And we finally got over the hump of getting back above the pre pandemic peak. So the good news is we've we've corrected that huge dislocation of lost jobs that happened during the pandemic. And we're back on the upward trend again. That's the really good news. As I watched Jerome Powell's interview on Tuesday, I got to do that. I so wanted to jump into the interviewer's chair and take over because there, there were so many things I felt left unsaid and unasked. And one of the first things I'd like to ask the chairman, if I could, he talks about using monetary policy and higher interest rates to correct inflation. But at some point, don't you have to acknowledge that our oil production is simply not where it was before the pandemic. And it's, it's hard to bring down oil prices when you don't have oil production. And of course, politically, we're not really getting much effort to help expand it that way. But I don't hear anybody asking him these questions that I'd like to sneak in there if I could. Overall, I think the chairman's proved to be a real reasonable guy. And I think he does take in a lot of perspectives. You can just tell from his conversation, that's the good news. Of course, he's firmly intent on bringing inflation down to 2%. And of course, that scares me a little bit if you're going to ignore the production problems that have contributed to the inflation that we've gotten. But overall, he's doing a fairly reasonable job. And the job growth is not really a big worry to me to adding to inflation, because in the long run, the solution for all of this is we need more people at work. And that's what helps the economy in the big picture for the longest run. One other question, obviously we've talked a lot about Latin American weather, but there's also weather here in the U.S. that has been expectedly or unexpectedly so a little hit and miss. I'm curious how you're watching winter weather play out. Obviously, John Brannick is talking about that shift out of La Nina to neutral and what that might look like. I'm curious how you're watching winter weather going into spring weather and how that might be affecting the markets. Yeah, Sarah, it looks to me like it's setting up for a much better production year for U.S. crops this year. And I say that because you can see significant drought reduction in the central and eastern Corn Belt. It's almost disappeared, except for I think there's a little bit in eastern Michigan still hanging on. Also, the drought seasonal outlook from the National Weather Service came out a couple weeks ago, and they expect improvement across the northern plains, which would be that spring wheat country, and uh, by the end of April. So, between now and April, there looks to be a much more improved type of conditions to when we start planting the crop. The toughest part still remains and is stubborn. And of course, that's the area from basically Nebraska south to Texas. And that's where that extreme to exceptional drought conditions are hanging on. And the forecast for that area is not so encouraging. There, there's a chance that they can get some more rains here in February and March. 
But then after March, it looks like a very dry forecast again. So that's another reason I'm very concerned about that hard red winter wheat crop this year. It's just not getting much help from weather or anything else. Final question. Obviously, the Ag Summit Series first event is coming up in, I wonder, all the conversation is going to be about planting, how to think about planting decision making around kind of crops and acreage and what the markets might be doing. Can you offer us a little bit of a preview of what you are thinking about or thinking about talking about at the event? Yeah, sure. Of course, there might be some more surprise balloons go go by between now and then. You never know what's going to pop up in the news between now and then. But as far as the planting outlook, we've already got a hint that more wheat acres were planted or at least attempted to be planted last fall. And so it looks like wheat will take back some of the acres this year. Uh, They're probably taking back some of those acres from cotton because the cotton prices have fallen off quite dramatically. So there's probably going to be a bit of a drop there. Corn continually gets good favor in the U.S. and soybean prices, both corn and soybean prices are staying quite high and attractive on the old crop side. There could be some more movement between now and then on the new crop side, and that'll be interesting to see it closer to the Ag Summit date. But just a rough guess so far, I'm thinking maybe 90 or 91 million acres of corn, roughly 88 to 89 million acres of soybeans, and then the rest mostly for wheat. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.